the whole mission is not just for our children. It's for all beings to just be more connected to their higher selves and feel more love and presence and more connected to the world around them. Today's Unreasonable Human is an educator and an activist who is changing the world one community at a time. We talk to her about the importance of nature connection, the public education system, and how we as communities can help our children thrive. Her name is Elisa Silva. Hi, Elisa. Hi, Erica. (laughs) It's so nice to see your beautiful face. Um, I just want to tell people listening to the podcast that the way that I like to to record podcasts, I like to to do like a Zoom call because I really think it's important for me to look at people's faces when I'm I'm talking to them because that's how I connect the most. And yeah, it's just so nice, this technology that I get to see your beautiful face and your beautiful everything around you because you're in Costa Rica. So it's just so nice. <laughs> Yeah, it's so great to see you too. And just, you know, feel like we're here together having a conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Elisa, um, a bit of background. I've known Elisa for about eight years now. Um, when I first met Elisa, when I first moved to America, um, I moved to a beautiful canyon town called Topanga in Los Angeles. It's nothing, nothing like what most of Los Angeles is like. It feels like this little haven at the top of a mountain. And um, my kids were very little. They were three and five years old. And so I found the sweetest little outdoor uh, kindergarten, little nursery school, whatever you call it, a little nursery school called the Homestead. And I was lucky enough to meet Elisa at the Homestead. Elisa was the teacher there. She was one of the teachers. Antonia was the the owner of the the nursery school, and Elisa was the teacher. And Elisa, when I first met you, the thing that struck me immediately with you was your absolute openness, and you had the sense of freedom within your soul that was palpable. And that's how you've always been. Like the moment I met you, you just were this free-spirited, full of love, completely open human being. And that's, you don't get that very often, you know? So I think how I'd like to really start this conversation is to ask you a bit about, you know, how you came to be in Topanga, teaching at an outdoor nursery school where does that openness and that that free-spiritedness come from? So they're definitely two separate questions, I think, mm. but linked, linked together. Um, I, I believe that I was born this way when I hear stories from my mom or my sister about myself as a child. And if I look back to the way that I looked at the world, um, I've always been really free spirited and, and people would have said like kind of in my own world, you know, Mm -hmm. not really paying too much attention uh, to different dramas and things that might be happening around me and, um, living somewhat in some people's perspective in like a fantasy world and, you know, definitely like a dreamer and optimist. And, um, and I think that 
I don't know where I got it from. I don't know if it's part of my lineage and it's been passed down through genetics or, um, you know, past lives. I'm not really sure, but I tend to just look at the bright side of things and Mm. see the good in people. And when you have that kind of mindset, you feel more free because the things that trap us are kind of like these judgments and fears and um, dark thoughts, I guess, about the world around us. And so um, I've definitely been focused more on the positive and the light um, with my struggles, though, and what led me to that beautiful little school on a mountaintop. I was born and raised in New York city. So I didn't have any kind of experience like that. Um, and then I moved to a small town in Louisiana. I lived in a couple of different places in between that, but those were the two main, main places. And I didn't feel like I fit in Mm -hmm. and I tried to at different points in my life, but I always felt different. And I always had this like California dream of the West coast and the hippie movement and, um, the nature and, So I always kind of dreamed of living in California. I remember meeting people when I was younger and thinking how cool they were because they were from California. Mm. And I, um, I loved to party, I think just because of the, the connection and music and dance. And I, that's one thing that actually drew me to you was like learning that you had been a DJ and, (laughs) um, that you loved electronic music and, um, and I did too. And so I, um, I was partying a lot and I had an ex-boyfriend and I went through a really, I went through an abortion and a really, really dark, tough time in my life, partying a little bit too much. And, um, after getting out of that relationship, I, um, well, I was still kind of in it and I visited a girlfriend in LA and she was like, Topanga was made for you. You have to go to Topanga. And we drive through this little mountain town, which like you said earlier, is so incredibly different from the rest of LA. It feels like you're in another country almost and these windy roads. And we stop at this little coffee shop. And um, back then, which was like 10 years ago, people would post places for rent at the coffee shop in the coffee shop window. And I saw, as we were walking in, I saw this little picture and I was like, God, that house is so cute. It feels like it's made for me. Is it the cutest house? And my friend convinced me to call the number that was listed on this paper. And, um, and so immediately this felt like there was something there when I talked to the woman on the phone and she was like, just come on over, you know, and we'll meet each other and we'll see what's possible. And so we drive up an even windier road onto this little horse farm and I go sit in the house and it's the woman that was subletting her, her little guest house. And then she said, well, just wait a minute. I'm going to bring the owner of this property and this lovely British woman. It's like a Mary Poppins. um, I don't even know. I don't know what she is, but wonderful human being um, comes into the room and we are so connected, so divinely connected. Feels like a mother energy. I know you know what I'm talking about, Erica. And um, it felt like home. It felt like every piece of furniture was like made for me. And then I'm just connecting deeply with the owner of this property. And so then finally she says, oh, well, what do you do? And I told her I was a teacher. I had been teaching at a elementary school and actually the lowest performing school district in all of Houston, Texas. That's where I was living at the time in Texas. And, um, and the school year was, had just ended. And so it was summer and, um, I knew I wanted to move. I didn't, I didn't know how it would be possible. And so she, um, told me that she was looking for a teacher that the teacher from the year before had just had a baby. And, um, I basically got a job and a place to live on that 
one little week trip with my girlfriend. And so that's what brought me to Topanga, to California. And it really shifted my life from working a nine hour day in this really intense area of Houston, you know, Mm -hmm. full on full time as an elementary school teacher to then working a half day and on top of a mountain and an outdoor preschool um, with a nature lover who taught me all about the native plants in the area. There was hikes every week and it really changed my life. And then I started to nanny and Mm -hmm. um, nanny for two beautiful children who you know, we're living this magical life with an orchard and a garden that they ate from and, um, you know, a rock climbing wall in their backyard and just living free, not locking their doors, um, you know, just surrounded by community and by love. And that, that whole experience of working and living in Topanga really shifted the trajectory of my entire life. Yeah, it is. Um, that's that school, the homestead, what you did there, what you and Antonia did, you know, every week you go for the hike, like you said, and then you make bread every week mm-hmm. they'd make bread and everything was outdoors. Mostly there was a small little, a small little room, but you didn't use it much. And then, you know, there was like an outdoor toilet, which was really like this. It was just so homegrown. And I think I would love you to go into, because you're in education and you're in, you know, educating of children how what do you feel because I know a lot of people have have got this thing uh I think it's growing in popularity but outdoor schools and uh these nature-based schools uh people are quite scared of them and I would like you to tell me what has your experience been of how you've seen what it does for children the benefits of children when it comes to this form of education well I just know you know now being a mother um, and yeah, teaching children for over 15 years and being, you know, in the stereotypical classroom in a public school, um, where you don't even have a window to see out into nature. I know what that I'm, I'm more comfortable sharing what I've seen that do to children. I was at Antonia school for not even three years, um, almost three years. And, the kids that were attending that school were also growing up in nature and growing up in Topanga. They all lived in Topanga. And so they, like I was sharing earlier, their whole life is safe and they're getting organic foods and they're surrounded by people that they know and that are familiar. And, you know, a lot of moms and dads are around and um, are able to be with them more so. And, uh yeah I think like yeah just even being surrounded by nature and growing up in that way has an impact on them so it feels like they were they were kind of just at home at Antonia school mm-hmm. and um and it, it created a space where they could just be themselves and mm-hmm. learn from from nature learn from experiencing nature as it is instead of some like set curriculum or something that is forced upon them that we believe is the truth or that is important. Mm -hmm. And um, what I've seen in the public school system is children that are put on medications or forced to change their authentic, genuine, pure selves to fit in 
and to be able to sit in a desk for, you know, however many hours per day and memorizing some curriculum that they can't relate to or they don't understand the significance or importance of. And to be honest, a lot of teachers don't even, you know, because a lot of these these curriculums or, or these old practices are really outdated. And, um, and so I've seen it be detrimental to a child's growth and well-being. And then you mix that of like being put into a box and constantly being told, you know, what's good and what's bad and what to believe and what to think. And, um, Mm. you know, having like so much be writing on a test score or um, some like, you know, report card evaluation Mm. of, of how good you are. And then it mixed with social media and technology, you know, in some schools, they're even just putting a screen, every kid has their own iPad and they're putting a screen in front of a child when the teacher's still right there, the teacher's just monitoring for a good portion of the day. And so it's, um, it's not where I want my kids to be. It's not where I want to be. Like I'm actually, um, I'm still, I'm on maternity leave right now because I just had my little baby boy, mm-hmm. but I go back, I go back in, in only a couple of weeks and I'm kind of dreading it. And it's not because of the children. It's because of everything that's surrounding them. And that, and, and that in a way as me as with me as their teacher, I'm backing it. And I'm saying that this is the way that it, it should be. You, sh- you need to sit in this chair. You need to walk this way down the hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to learn these particular things. So anyways, yeah, it's tough. tough, Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm realizing that that's not where I want to be. And my goal is actually to start my own school. Well, yeah, let's, 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 I want to hear about that, but I want you to explain. So your pivot, because you were at the homestead and obviously there's this awareness because you had been in the public school system and then you came to the homestead, saw a different way with when it comes to education and then let's go on to what you did straight after that because I'd love to talk about love activists and I'd love to um really talk about your work um after the homestead what what you went then into and why why so I was walking barefoot through Topanga not driving to school walking to school some days and like I told you before, nannying these beautiful children and just immersing myself in nature and in in a community that's just filled with families and artists and people that are supporting each other and wanting kind of the same thing for their children and for future generations to protect nature. So I was I was just becoming aware of the power of being totally immersed in nature as a child and community and love and healthy foods and yoga mindfulness all of these all these things that i hadn't really been exposed to and at the same time um trump had just gotten elected a lot of my friends were in standing rock um Mm -hmm. where tribes from all over were coming together to um, stand up against this big oil company drilling on on um, indigenous land and it felt like this moment in time where I couldn't just live in a bubble anymore. And that's kind of what Topanga is from my perspective is it's so incredibly beautiful, but it's not very diverse. And it is somewhat of a bubble where um, 
the people who live there are benefiting from all the amazing nature and safety and good foods, but the people that are outside of it, you know, aren't even really able to come in and they are able, but you know what I mean? And, um, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, some people don't even know that it exists. And when you look at East and West Los Angeles, it's so extreme, the discrepancies and, and then if you also look at like the color of skin from the East and West LA, um, it's, it's a racial divide. Mm -hmm. It's a financial divide. And, um, it's this huge gap that I am really passionate about contributing to closing and building bridges. And, um, I always have been since I was young and, um, And so it felt like this moment in time that I really had to do something. And at the same exact time, I was in this dance class and I had this fear for, since I was young, um, fear of dancing in front of people. And I don't know if it was because I got made fun of one time for dancing. There's something in there, but I, I'd kind of freeze up if I felt like people, I would love to dance. I loved going to parties. I loved electronic music and I would dance on my own. But when I, feel like somebody was watching me or judging me, I'd freeze up and I couldn't move. And so I did this dance class in hopes to kind of face that fear. And at the same time, I started to work with um, an intuitive and amazing, you know, woman who just helped me see things that weren't as clear. And I did a lot of shadow work and I got completely sober for the first time, like no, no weed, no sip of wine, no nothing. And, um, and went into a lot of my childhood trauma and a lot of really tough things, just facing tough, tough things, a lot of like nightmares and a lot of hard times in the, in the dance program, you know, just a lot coming up for me. And so it was just this like really intense time. Um, and the night after my performance or the day after my performance, where I danced in front of lots of people, I danced with fire. I did this whole choreography. Mm -hmm. Um, that morning I woke up and I started to write in a notebook that I still have to this day. And I wrote out the four units of study that I wanted to teach in an original curriculum that I wanted to create. I wrote down the type of school where I wanted to teach this curriculum at. And I wrote down even like the names of different topics in these four units and how I would turn it into music, into songs, because children learn through music. And um, basically everything that I've been doing for the past seven years, I wrote in this notebook. I called my mom. She was the first one. I was single back then. So she was like my main, main woman. And I called her up and I said, mom, I know why I'm here. I know why I was born. feels like every moment has led up to this moment. And I know my life's purpose. Hmm. And, um, I had recently done a yoga training that, um, helped me end this relationship that kind of continued on even after moving away from Texas and moving away from him, he followed me out to California. We kind of continued it on, tried to make it work. But I finally, after this yoga training and like really deeply connecting to myself, my higher self, um, but it was also this mixture of like me facing my fears and um, and diving into a lot of like shadow work and childhood trauma and using those yoga techniques that I had been learning in this training on myself. And so I basically took all of that and put it into this curriculum. And, um, it's four units. The first one is love yourself, then love others, love the earth and take action to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. So that's our mission statement. 
Um, that's what I pitched to this school in South Central Los Angeles. And, um, you know, I didn't know exactly how it would look, but they said really the only way that I could get paid to bring this curriculum to their school was to become like a specials teacher or an elective teacher, um, which they would call yoga instead of calling it love activists, which is mm. the name of the curriculum. It's a yoga class. So I became the yoga teacher at this school for 600 children and started within, you know, months teaching teaching my curriculum that I had been developing. And um, shortly after the kids that were really taking, like taking on to what I was sharing and connecting with me, um, we started to write music and make songs and it required a lot of focus and a lot of time. So that's how the after school program started with a small group of like 10 kids. And um, then we took the songs and turned them into music videos. So mm -hmm that other teachers could share these lessons because I basically was taking the lessons, putting them into hip hop songs and then creating these videos so that teachers all over could share what I was teaching in my classroom through music. Mm -hmm. And then it just continued on and I started a nonprofit about a year or two after that to raise funds to, you know, be able to get help to do it all. And now, yeah, it's the seventh year I'm, I'm going to quit the full-time teaching job so I can focus really just on the nonprofit. Mm, it's so beautiful. Love activists. The videos are so sweet and they're so well produced and beautiful. And I'd love to know how uh, your lessons, how love activists has impacted the community that you were in, because I'm sure that uh, there must've been quite a big impact on the community because it felt like it was a community uh people were invited to things, the parents became involved. So can you go into that? Yeah, well, something that you realize as a teacher, the longer that you're in it is the importance of parent investment and parent relationships, or not just parent, any kind of guardian and and their entire family, because you know it doesn't really matter what you're doing and teaching in the classroom if it's not being instilled at home. Now, whether that's through math and writing and reading, you know, homework or even just in life skills and mindfulness and the kinds of things that I'm teaching, if it's not being done at home, you're kind of like playing against the family and you're not, if you're not working together, it actually can become quite confusing for a kid mm. <laughs> of how to be. And, um, and it's just way more powerful when parents are on board and the whole mission is not just for our children. It's for all beings to just be more connected to their higher selves and, feel more love and presence and more connected to the world around them. So mm -hmm. it's not just for them. It was for their families. And I did a lot of family nights, um, several per year where I invite the community, not just parents, but little brothers and sisters, cousins would sometimes come and we would fill up classrooms and I'd move it into the big kind of cafeteria area, fill that up. So I started to have multiple, um, teachers and mentors come and work with us have like multiple rooms going at once for these family nights they became so popular hmm. and um and the kids would just love to experience whether it was like I did like a sound bath or yoga I did African drumming and dancing um like all different types of things um the kids would love to experience it with their families and then I'd hear stories all the time about kids wanting to whether it's just like planting a little something and growing, growing some kind of food, even if it's just like a small little planter in their apartment, mm. or if they had some piece of 
you know, dirt that they could use outside, wanting to grow food, talking about the environment, about, you know, animal rights and what's happening to our, just our world deforestation and climate change and wanting to recycle. So the stories that I hear from families is like, just remarkable and them like kind of repeating back even sometimes in the tone or in the vocabulary that I would teach it in yeah. and um and I think the biggest one of all or two is probably the ability to self-regulate and to calm down really strong feelings um we have a song called calm down breathe and it's you know simple it just teaches the steps of stopping and taking a moment to think about how you feel and be able to express it in a healthy way and be able to breathe deep breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, those like simple things, like kids are really practicing it and you see it all over the school mm-hmm. as well as like conflict resolution and being able to use your words. And in those moments when it's heated and you're upset, especially as a kid and there's bullying involved, um, you know, that's how like a lot of fights break out. Like even there was so many fistfights at my school, um, but empowering kids to be able to use their words and learn about a bigger picture of like a world where everybody practiced nonviolence. Mm. Um, Those kinds of things I think had the biggest impact because kids that are getting referrals or going to visit the office are you know, out of their school time. And so they're not getting the reading and math lessons and then they're falling behind or they're being labeled as, you know, the bad kid or, mm. you know, the kid that's got issues or whatever. Um, not only by the school, but it trickles down and, and the parents are viewing them in that way too and having to constantly come to the school because they're in trouble. Mm. And so um, I think that's the biggest thing that I noticed was that children were able to really use their voices to you know, solve problems, but also to share their needs, to express themselves and Mm. um, feeling more connected because there's not as much bullying happening. And there, there, there was a significant drop. There's many shifts in my school. So I don't want to say it's just because of the program, but a Mm. significant drop in our um, office referrals, just in general as a school, and then a significant rise in our academic scores. So to mm. me, that was a like a huge success. Um, yeah. But some of the stuff as a teacher, you you'll never get to kind of like reap the benefits of what you sow in a way. You won't get yeah. to like see it full out. But like maybe I, I I've had these visions of when I'm however old, sixty years old, seventy years old, and being able to see what some of the kids have done with their lives or hearing yeah. back from them, and so. Yeah. yeah, it takes time. Those sort of transformations take time. And what, so what is the thing? What are, what are you hoping for for love, love activists from here? What's the sort of future of love activists? Can you see um, it growing into? Would we, or what would you like it to grow into one day? So um, I was supposed to quit and move out of my full-time teaching role a little while ago. And I had actually convinced my principal to hire another yoga teacher and Mm. who's currently teaching my curriculum. So that was one step in the direction that I want to go of having other teachers that are also teaching this curriculum Mm. um, because I can't be in, you know, I can only be in however many places. And so um, 
I would like to publish the curriculum, which is like a simple manual um, with really basic, easy lessons. It doesn't require a ton of time because teachers just don't have it. So much is being pushed on them when it comes to standardized tests and curriculum and all of that. So um, it's really basic, really easy, but super powerful lessons um, that could be done really anytime throughout the day. They're super short, mm -hmm. but hopefully in like a morning meeting or to start the day. And then the teacher is also getting that kind of, um, you know, mindfulness practice with their students. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's the, the biggest thing that I would like is that I would publish the curriculum. And this could be in schools all over, not only in Los Angeles, but the United States and the world. Mm -hmm. And um, all of the songs and the content that we've been creating with our mentorship program, I want to be tools that are meant to be used in the classroom to support the curriculum. So it's really engaging and, um, you know, these songs that are like by kids for kids, almost like a Mickey Mouse club. And, yeah. and then the songs are shared all over, not only in the classroom, but by parents at home. And mm. I'd like to continue my mentorship and finish our 10 song album. So we're on song number eight. I'm actually editing the music video right now Yay. in the jungles of Costa Rica with my husband who's learning <laughs> how to edit because our editor is not with us and he's amazing at the computer and can learn like any computer program. So um, shout out to him. I couldn't do any of this without him. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we're editing our new song free to be me. And then there's two more songs. So the next one I want to be focused on indigenous ways and cultures of uh the Americas and learn a lot about the rainforest and the importance of the Amazon rainforest to our world and what's currently happening there. Mm -hmm. And I have a very big dream of raising funds to bring a smaller group of my mentorship um, to Costa Rica, where I currently am right now um, on my family's land, who has a retreat center and totally immerse them and one parent in nature. Yeah. So it's another very big goal is to yeah, finish the album, have songs for children that are accessible by anybody and just free and out there, and then continue the mentorship, the after-school mentorship, which really focuses on art activism and mm. the arts and expressing yourself through the arts and bring the kids um, to Costa Rica. And then after that, multiple mm -hmm. places all over um all over LA in nature but then you know all over the world possibly yeah i love that um and it's possible and i think it's such it's such important work that you're doing because you know uh city kids all over the world you know this nature connection is so so important for children and um these tools that you're teaching them, these this connection to breath, the deregulation, you know, it's stuff that uh, not many people are, are taught. It's 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 remarkable. Not many people are taught it. It's something that doesn't seem natural yet. It's our natural way of being, and we're so far removed from our natural way of being that when you teach this sort of work, uh, it feels foreign. I'm sure to people, but then when they do it and when they experience it it feels like the most natural thing because we are just going back to our natural state of being. So I really, really hope that Love Activist grows and grows and grows. I think it's so beautiful. I think that uh, your work is so important. Um, you, you really are changing communities and it, the more it can grow, uh, 
the better because hopefully I'm I'm just putting it out there. Get, hopefully you'll get loads of funding and you will be able to bring kids and families to Costa Rica because let's let's talk about Costa Rica. So you, your family, you've been going to Costa Rica for since how long? How long have you been going there? Since I was little, I mean, probably my first time I'd have been around seven. Yeah. Around seven years old. Yeah. Um, so that's also contributed, I'm sure, a huge amount to your understanding of what nature can do for you and the connection um, of, you know, the love connection that nature has with every human spirit. Um, let's talk about your family in Costa Rica. Because the family that you visited, they're so unique and so incredible. Yeah, so um, I grew up in New York City and in, in, surrounded by concrete and sirens. And my mom's brother um, built a sailboat and sailed the world and ended up squatting on some land right across the bay from where I am with his wife and his I think four or five kids at the time. And um, there, while he was squatting on the land on this boat, he developed heart interface, which is um, found on many old boats. The company took off and he sold it and bought this land that I'm currently on right now, almost 200 acres of beautiful rainforest property. And he raised his nine children here. And so when I would come visit from New York City as a child, I, for the first time myself, was totally immersed in nature. But not only that, immersed in their family's culture of, you know, growing their own food, catching their own fish, um, holding hands before they ate, which they were sitting in a circle on the floor mm-hmm. on cushions, um, oming together. And um, I had never been exposed to anything like that. They were all homeschooled and didn't leave their property very often. And so they weren't experiencing like the daily TV shows and movies that I was, the foods that I was. Um, And it had a really, really big impact on me. And I think that's why I was always California dreaming and Mm -hmm. wanting to find people that were more like me because I just really valued what I was experiencing. And, um, and so Hart, my uncle who built the boat and bought the land and is the amazing genius inventor, um, became this, uh, kind of like a spiritual guide in a way for me. And, you know, even in like, I've been in different ceremonies and, um, journeys and I always ask him to come and, and help guide and protect me. And so my uncle uh, loved having us come visit and would always make us feel at home. Mm. And whether, you know, we were just always staying in different places on the property and um, always working hard, always just like getting some like crazy spiel from him about how, you know, we should live more simply and Mm. the importance of protecting nature. So um, my cousins um, have all grown up and a few of them came together to try to sustain the farm and keep it alive and to share what they have here and built this glamping and restaurant that's called Los Vivos, which is the living Los Mm -hmm. Vivos beachfront and glamping. And, um, 
And so I've been able to return now as an adult with my own family and, and see what they're doing. And it's absolutely incredible. And just a couple of weeks ago, I was considering dropping everything and moving here. And I was talking to my uncle about it and seeing if there's opportunities for, for helping out with what they're creating and what they're doing. They want to do a whole like farm to table. They built this amazing orchard and, um, and, you know, nature excursions and retreats and all kinds of cool stuff. And, um, and then I was trying to promote this story of how they were raised and what that had to do with what they were sharing and, and um, selling basically with their, with their business. And I was interviewing my uncle and um, it's this really powerful, it's just a couple minutes long uh, interview that I got of him that was talking about the importance of coming back to nature and how um, that like spiritual connection that a lot of us search for, whether it's with, you know, yoga trainings or, mm -hmm. you know, all these different people that we pay life coaches and all these different things and how just being immersed in nature can basically teach you all that stuff. So that like brings us full circle to what mm -hmm. you were saying about um, immersing children in nature from a really young age in their school, which is where they spend a good amount of time. What he was basically sharing was just, just being here, not alone. When you go, when you leave, you know, and you go back to wherever you're from, you're changing the world because it has such significant impact on you to drink clean water, to breathe fresh air and just be surrounded by trees and mm -hmm. um, the ocean. And so um, he passed three or four days um, after that interview that I did with him, just mm -hmm. suddenly he had the night or two nights before he had gone for a full moon bike ride to an ecstatic dance and danced all night at 73 years old and then rode his bike back home. And I'm talking like, I don't know, 30 miles or wow. something like wow. far. And, and if you saw him in the interview, I mean, he's so lively, so alive mm -hmm. and he, he died suddenly. And, um, all those things that I was sharing about my goals for love activists these past couple of weeks have been so impactful and life-changing for me to have the words that was, that he said before passing and spending this time with my family here. Um, it really shifted where I see love activists going, where I see my life going and um, what, where I want my kids to, to grow up and what they want them to experience. So mm that's part of my reason for really wanting to bring the kids that I care so deeply about in South central, bring them out here and let them experience what I got to experience as a child and um, let them learn from some of my cousins who like my one cousin who you got to meet earlier is this amazing triathlete. So they could like do a swimming lesson mm -hmm. in the Bay. They could um, go on the hiking trails and be on bikes um, my other cousin has this amazing boat tour where you learn about the marine life. You catch a fish, you come back and you cook it. So like yeah. the kids could experience that. My aunt here is an amazing medicine woman who uses all these herbs to help mm -hmm. heal people. She's a midwife. She runs the biggest organic market here so they can eat organic fresh foods. They can have cooking classes. They can make their own teas. Um, so I'm just my mind is just like my creative brain is going crazy with the things that we could do with this retreat. So yeah, that's what I'm super excited about along with finishing everything that I started. Yeah. That's so yeah. beautiful that you can, you have this opportunity and 
how beautiful that you know you grew up uh, in this environment, like going on holidays to your family, and that now with love activists you can actually share that with them by bringing people to 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 be immersed in nature because people just aren't enough. And you know, I think it's so important to note that your uncle could have chosen to stay in America and he probably would have done very well for himself. He was a genius. He was <laughs> a genius inventor. So he probably could have lived a very, very comfortable life here in America, but he very specifically chose not to do that. And something else that I really love about him is that he was a musician and he, he really correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I've seen of your videos and your interviews with him, he believed that music was the way to developing the mind. And it's so important, like that all these things, living in nature, connecting with nature in whatever way you can and um, being creative and being musical, all of those things are vital for human development and are vital for intelligent like those those that's what feeds intelligence creativity and nature feeds your intelligence is that is that correct what i'm saying it's completely correct um and i think you know he really used music as a form of his emotional expression so as a mm -hmm. way to really share his emotions but even you know you were saying he could have lived comfortably in the united states I think a huge thing that I learned from him, I remember I asked him, not this trip, but the one before when I had my first son, the last time we were here, I said, you know, what was the main thing that you tried to pass down to your kids? Because I always loved learning from him and I was so like curious to see where he would go with it. And it was so simple, but he, I'll always remember it. And he said, um, I always just wanted them to never be led and would always just keep that in the back of my mind with everything to never be led. And I think, you know, what he, in talking more about it, what he meant by that was that in our society, a lot of people, and this goes back to even what we were talking about with the public school system, a lot of people tell our children exactly who and what to be. And instead of it coming from deep inside of them, which is what I believe to be this natural way of being um, your true authentic self. There's all of these things, wear this, say this, do this, don't do this. Mm. And then you add on all the judgments and the shame and blame mm. when you do do this, and uh, which creates this whole other, you know, shadow. And I think what he was getting at was like to really be in touch with who we truly are, to be connected to our higher selves or spirit or God, whatever you call it that you have to get away from all of that. So yes to everything you said, yes to music, yes to nature, yes to organic food, yes to community, and but also no to pharmaceuticals and big pharma, mm. no to the public school system, no to, you know, what they're trying to feed our children and processed foods and um, big cities and concrete. And so I think that's, that, yes, he could have lived totally comfortably, but that's the one thing that he knew he wanted nothing to do with and have no part in and mm -hmm. to get as far away from to raise his kids was, um, you know, our societies and cities. And, mm. and so that's, I think the, the shift that I'm feeling is that um, instead of this heavy focus on all of these tools and step-by-step -step guides to, 
how to be, even if it's something like how to calm down or be more mindful or solve your problems peacefully. Instead, what can happen when our kids are just immersed in nature? Mm. And can that be the guide? And can they learn those things, those steps and those tools mm. in their own way, just through nature? Yeah. Through observing and being in nature. Yeah. I think that uh, things like love activists and sort of, and, and wanting what you're wanting to do with your nonprofit by bringing people to, you know, to be completely submersed in, in the nature of Costa Rica, that is absolutely tangible. Um, people, transformation does happen in that way. How do we, you know, this, the system is so huge. The public school system is, is so massive. In what ways do you think that teachers and parents can sort of start to change this distancing that we have from our true nature because that's exactly what it is like it if like for me personally I know the public school system feels like that it feels like a system that's trying to take children away from who they really are um so how what would you say to parents who are like well you know I can only afford public school or I I live in the city what would you like me to do what are some of the things that they can do to try and change a little bit about the environment there and because you know, the reality is a lot of people can't change it you know they can't totally um and and this is this is new for me and it's kind of coming out to be honest through this conversation right here right now mm. and also in becoming, and I'm a new mother, I have a two-year-old and then a six-month-old. Um, so I didn't think in this way before, but the biggest thing that has allowed me to be a free spirit and to stay in my heart is following my heart. Mm -hmm. And so I think if we can, in whatever way it is, whether it's through meditation, dancing, any kind of self-help book or whatever it is that allows you to get everything from outside of you to be quiet and really drop into your own heart or your own intuition, like mm -hmm. that inner guidance, that gut feeling. So it can be many different places in the body, but it's inside of you and it's not outside of you and letting that guide you. Mm -hmm. And it can be in the simple conversation that you have with your child when they're throwing food and jumping on the table and the way that you approach them, letting it be from your heart and your own, what you know inside it feels right mm. or whether that's choosing the place where you're going to live mm. or the job that you're going to take or the food that you're going to eat and consume or give your child or the way that you're going to handle a conflict with your partner mm. um, all of those things really matter and that's I think what what mindfulness is at the heart of it is it's really being able to not be so stressed and influenced by the outside world mm. and going so incredibly fast that you don't take that moment to really drop into what you know is right in your own heart or in mm. your own gut or intuition. Yeah. So that's what I would say is do whatever it takes to, whether that's taking a break from social media, not watching as much TV, mm. finding the job that lights you up, mm. living in a place where you love your neighbors, you know, mm whatever it may be that helps you stay in your heart and letting that guide you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Elisa, I think it's, it's so, so important to note that you, you could probably move to Costa Rica and stay there. 
but you've decided that's not what an activist does, right? An activist decides, uh, you know, even though that's what you, I'm sure you probably want for your kids, it's like, we're just going to live in Costa Rica for the rest of our lives. You've chosen not to do that and you're going to continue your work with love activists. And I really am inspired by the work that you do. And I think that the work that you are doing is really carrying forward not only your own beliefs and your own passion for this work, but your family, like this is your, like your uncle's work. It's so interesting how aligned, you know, how your uncle had this real belief. I mean, he bought this land. Else I think people need to know that he bought this land so that it wasn't going to be developed. He bought it specifically to protect the land because mm -hmm. he hasn't developed the land. So, you know, you, you, um, as a family, uh, you are people who, are revolutionaries in the way that you do things and it's vital for you to do this work in the world. So um, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing where it all goes and I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Love Activists grows into something that could really, really affect the, the education system in a very positive way because there needs to be more Elisas and love activists in this world. So yeah, I just want to say thank you for that. And thank you for this wonderful conversation. It's been really, really wonderful. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. And I know, you know, I, I don't know if you'll have to you'll get to include this, but yeah, um, you coming out here and sharing your voice, you know, like there's so many reasons why not to share ourselves. And we, we hold ourselves back by saying, oh, we can't do this or it's not going to be this or, you know, just all these judgments. And so you going for it and sharing your voice, like I know just from watching, you know, the Instagram posts about you getting ready to start this podcast, I was so excited for you. And then like, what an honor to then have you ask me to be a part of it. And so in facing my own fears, I know like, that's where all the juiciness and all the good stuff is. And so in you doing this, I'm so excited to see where it goes and what is next for you and your family as well. So thank you so much, Erica. Thank you. Thank you, Elisa. I'm going to finish off with my three unreasonable questions. Let me go get them. Don't worry. Yay, I'm excited <laughs> for these. <laughs> okay, so Elisa, my first unreasonable question is, what is the most unreasonable quality that you love about yourself? I would have to say my open-mindedness. Yeah, and just very, very open to all different ways of living and being and kind of like the more different and weird and wild it is, the more I tend to be drawn to it. Um, but I think that's because of just being so open. Mm, that is very much you. Very much you. That's what I love about you is your openness. And it is, it shines through you, through your face, through everything. You're so open. It's so beautiful. Um, okay. My next question is, um, name one unreasonable human that inspires you and why? Well, we have to go with my uncle for <laughs> sure. After this conversation and in this moment in time, Hart Akerson, um, Stephen Carl Akerson, my mom's little baby brother was by far the wildest, most unreasonable, toughest, gnarliest human that I've ever experienced in my life and could possibly be 
the most in the world. Mm. He, I told you a little bit before, is an incredible genius inventor, physicist, taught physics, built his own boat, invented life-changing tools. But he also was this like amazing musician, pianist. He was one of the first people to test out some of the first synthesizers back in like the 60s ah. and made all this like really wild, crazy electronic music. Um, but even more unreasonable than any of that to me is the way that he raises children and what he modeled for them, which was like, he wore the same cutoff jean shorts. He didn't like, you know, do all the shopping and name brand and the clothes. He wore the same damn jean shorts every day with no shirt, no shoes. And he's this inventor trying to you know, pitches business and get investors and all of this. And part of the reason the last invention ever took off is be probably because of him not cutting his hair and being barefoot and this wild man. And, and I love that that's what he modeled for his kids. And he, like my cousin, who's this like world champion triathlete, the way he learned that is because Hart, my uncle, did these off-roading triathlons with all his kids all growing up. He did some of them barefoot in his cutoff jean shorts <laughs> and, and would just go through, you know, the craziest jungle, whatever it was. He fell off his bike like a couple months ago and got lost in the jungle and had to sleep overnight in the jungle barefooted, you know, just, just wild stuff. He's just a wild, wild man. Hmm. Definitely the most unreasonable human I've known. Yeah. Oh, I, I wish I could have met him. I really. Me too. What an awesome human. What an awesome and all, like all being the world, the word, you know, unreasonable humans when they do it properly are all inspiring, you know? Well, hopefully you'll get to meet his, his kids who yeah. have a little piece of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd love that. Okay. My final question is, Elisa, what is your definition of an unreasonable human? Being unreasonable, I think, is really about following that raw, intuitive part of you instead of following those around you and um, not caring what other people think, not yeah. doing things by the book and, um, and trying something completely new. Yeah. And also following nature, which in this day and age, I think, tends to be unreasonable long ago I think that's the way that it was done so we're kind of like getting back I think on un being unreasonable is kind of getting back to long ago the way that we lived where we just did things more naturally so that we could be clearer channels and more open um, to that inner guidance yeah so true that's so true well thank you so much Elisa it's been very special and I'm um... Yeah, I, I, I think that this is going to be a conversation that is going to be very important for people to hear when it comes to uh, education and our children and what's important for our happiness as humanity, you know. Um, so thank you. I love you. Love you too, Erica. Bye, I'll honey. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. If you would like to find out more about love activists and support Elisa's mission, please visit their website, loveactivists.org. 
Well, that's it for today's episode of Unreasonable Humans. Thanks so much for joining me. Please follow the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember that a great rating goes a very long way to support the show. Until the next one. Bye.